Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. This series examines the healthcare ecosystem and its current business challenges and opportunities. In each episode, I'll be talking to key leaders in the industry uh, about how they're anticipating and navigating market dynamics. Our current season is focusing on healthcare innovation and specifically how companies are ensuring inventions are translated into uh, tangible benefits for, for, for patients. So in line with this, I'm, I'm delighted to be joined by a special guest, Christian Hogg. Uh, Christian is an executive director and CEO of ChiMed, a Hong Kong-based innovative medicines company, uh, which is listed both on NASDAQ and uh, the London AIM market. Uh, his company has ambitions to become a global leader in the discovery, development, and commercialization of targeted therapies and immunotherapies in both oncology and autoimmune diseases. While Charmad has a portfolio of prescription drugs and consumer health products um, that it's selling in China, it is also very active in discovering and developing innovative medicines. Indeed, Chimed was the first company to you know, get a novel oncology product from discovery all the way through to uh, unconditional approval um, in, in China. And it's also developing a, a pipeline of um, uh, drug cancer cancer drug candidates, uh, which are currently in clinical studies, not just in China, but actually around the world. So consequently, Christian is ideally placed to talk to us about how to tap into China's emerging uh, innovation uh, potential. So uh, Christian, thank you very much uh, for joining me. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. So, so, so uh, Christian, China historically has been um, seen as a source of, you know, uh, APIs um, for the pharma industry around the world. Um, but it's only in recent years that, you know, it seems it's been focusing more attention on actually uh, becoming an R&D powerhouse. Um, so, you know, could you, you know, from, from, from where you're sitting, could you describe, you know, what that evolution is looking like? That's a, a very broad-ranging question. Um, so, uh, innovation in China, yeah, it has a reputation. China has a reputation of being a producer, a producer, a producer of API uh, and sort of raw material products for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, it's one of the one of the biggest sources of API worldwide. But actually, that has built up over the last 20 years. If you go back 20 years ago, you know, the Chinese pharmaceutical industry just was a generic um, me too, sort of state owned enterprise controlled, um, kind of, you know, non innovative industry. Um, and uh, the Chinese government back then really sort of decided that they wanted China not to follow the path of India into basically being a global generic drug manufacturing center, but they wanted to turn China into an innovative uh, pharmaceutical industry that could benefit not just patients in China, but patients all over the world. And that was a concrete decision uh, that was made back in 
in, in sort of the early 2000s. And so all policy, all Chinese government policy uh, in this industry has, over the last 20 years, has gradually been building towards that, that, that vision and objective. ChiMed uh, is a company that was established 20 years ago. I mean, it was luck that we started at that time when, when the industry started to change. Um, but we did start with a philosophy or a mindset of that we wanted to come in and we wanted to innovate for the global market. We, we wanted to harness the, you know, the quality talent, scientific talent that exists in China and was available sort of through returnees back to China. So many, many mainland Chinese went to America to get their PhDs, went to work for Big Pharma, Big Biotech. And in the early 2000s, they started to return back to China. Um, and so what we wanted to do is capture that and fund it and start really building our own discovery organization focused in oncology to try to, to, to create uh, innovation for the global market. We were basically the only people with that mindset. Uh, Beijing also uh, started a little bit later, but they had that same mindset too about trying to create innovation in China for the global market. And as I say, every step of the way, the, the, the policy and the reforms that have happened in the pharmaceutical industry have facilitated that. So <clears throat> I'd say the, um, back, back in 2000, the, the standard of care in most uh, therapeutic areas, particularly oncology, was rudimental. It was very basic. You know, you had cancer, probably you're gonna have access to chemotherapy, radiotherapy, that was basically it back in 2000. And you know, that's just not acceptable. The Chinese government felt that wasn't acceptable. The people of China have access to the internet. They can see all of these fantastic innovations in oncology coming to the global market. And you know, it was essential for patients in China to be, to be brought access to these therapies. So. So Chinese government started to do a number of reforms. Uh, they started to make it a lot easier to um, develop drugs in China. So historically, and that, this is even going back to sort of 2000, 2008, 2009, when we submitted our first INDs in China, you know, to start an, a, a, a clinical trial on a novel therapy. From submission to approval of the IND, it took 18 months. You know, um, just in America, it takes you 30 days. So it was very unwieldy. It was very bureaucratic. And then once you got to start your clinical trial, you do your phase one, then you had to resubmit for phase two approval. That took 18 months as well to get the approval to go into phase two. You know, uh, whereas in America, you make that decision in a day. It's all your own risk. So. The Chinese, the, the regulatory authorities in China, they really recognized that, that the system was, was too bureaucratic and it was too um, cumbersome. And they, they came with reform after reform after reform to make the regulatory environment more transparent, to engage with biotech companies, to understand what are the issues, how can we, how can we fix problems, um, and you know, work really closely with industry to to fix 
uh, and sort of design a, a regulatory structure that was more relevant for a country that aspired to be an innovative uh, um, pharmaceutical industry as opposed to a generic industry. And so step by step, um, the regulatory environment has improved dramatically. Now you move, can move very, very quickly. Um, we have uh, an NDA that was submitted just before COVID and you know, the regulatory authorities have not missed a beat. They've been on it, they've been interacting with us, you know, very, very helpful. So on the one side, regulatory reforms. On the other side, uh, one of the major drivers of innovation in China is the expansion of access. So patients, uh, if you go back to sort of 2005, 2006, there were maybe 10% of the Chinese population were on the main medical insurance scheme in China, the main medical scheme that reimburses drug uses. Only about 10% of the population back in 2005, 2006. Today, that has expanded massively. So today, in the latest data for 2018, it's about well over 50% of the population is now on the main medical insurance scheme to reimburse drugs. And the other 50% are on the rural scheme that provides less reimbursement, but some. So you've gone from basically a uh, out-of-pocket system where patients would have to pay out-of-pocket back 15 years ago to now 50% of patients or people in China are getting the majority of their innovative drugs reimbursed. And actually in the last three years, 40 innovative oncology drugs have been brought into the national reimbursement drug list. And, and that allows half of the population access to 40 very high, high quality global targeted therapies from Avastin to Herceptin to uh, Herbitax to, you know, to a, a full range of you know, very uh, important targeted therapies. And so we last year were, were able to bring Fraquintinib, which is our VGFR inhibitor. We launched it in 2018. We got it onto the reimbursement list um, at the end of last year. And you know the volume has increased massively because more and more patients now have access to it. So it's those two things that have driven innovation and investment in innovation. It's you know reform of the regulatory environment and vast expansion of access to these therapies and it's all for the benefit of patients in china and that's what's driving um china to become a you know a, an industry of the pharmaceutical industry and the biotech industry in china to become focused on innovation those two things yeah so i, I was i was going to ask you because obviously with uh um you know that was sort of very early on in in that sort of that regulatory reform process. So you must have actually sort of been feeling that kind of pain and almost like pushing down the doors. I was going to ask you, okay, in that journey, what lessons did you learn that um, have shaped how you're now sort of progressing your other pipeline? But actually, it seems that it's it's um, it's more to do with the actual the changes on the ground that has actually had the biggest impact on what you're what you're able to do. Yeah, it, it, the, the, you know, from the time we it took us 18 months to get our Fruquintinib IND approved back in 2009. You know, uh, today 
with our new assets that we bring in. We have a new IDH, uh, IDH one two dual inhibitor. We're about to start clinical trials in China. Again, it took in China. It, it doesn't take thirty days like the U.S. It takes about sixty days. So that I, that IND was cleared very quickly. So the learnings from back, you know, ten years ago are already obsolete in in today's new regulatory environment in China. But you know, things that things that are more recent. So, for example, the Frequentinib NDA approval process where we went through our inspections, we had the, the regulatory authorities come in and inspect our clinical sites, our clinical data, our manufacturing operations. This is all relevant, uh, relevant learning. It's only two years old learning. And so now our second NDA for surafatinib, in, uh, it's our second drug surafatinib in neuroendocrine tumors. That NDA was submitted late last year. And so now we're going through the whole same process of NDA inspections and, and uh, an approval process with the regulatory authorities. And it's going quite smoothly because we, we know the system well. So it's very helpful. Now we have our third NDA uh, being submitted shortly on sabalitinib, which we're partnered up with AstraZeneca, the selective CMET inhibitor. And I expect that will go even faster. So. You know, these, these experiences uh, are very, very important. And uh, you certainly build up your capability as time goes by. I mean, it's interesting you're sort of saying about, you know, how things are getting faster. I was talking to a pharmaceutical executive who they're very much involved in, in China and said that, you know, he was actually surprised at the pace that everything is done. That actually, you know, in the West, they think they're doing things quickly, but actually it's much faster in China. Uh, I mean, sort of reflecting on, for example, sort of, you know, the experience you have both of, you know, what happens in the West and what happens in China. If I was a biotech or a pharmaceutical executive thinking about China for the, for, for the first time, you know, what, what are the differences that I would still have to, you know, embrace? that I might not be necessarily aware of. You, you have to, in China, I mean, you know, ChiMed is not just a China company. We have, we have 30 clinical studies underway around the world. We have a big clinical regulatory team sitting in New Jersey, developing five of our drugs in the US, Europe, and Japan markets. So, so we're not just a China company. And so we see, we see um, uh, drug development and the speed at which it goes in all markets. Um, and I think your observation is right. These days, China is as quick as anywhere else. It's certainly not slower. Um, so, you know, it's basically been able to bring its regulatory infrastructure and mindset to a similar level of that of the US FDA and the European regulatory authorities and the, and the Japanese regulatory authorities. That's what's most exciting about China is that it's kind of caught up and is now able to, uh, you know, prioritize innovation. You know, there's still a lot of generic players in China and, uh, you know, getting a generic drug approval is really slow in China because it's low on the priority list. And, you know, Chinese, Chinese regulatory authorities are not going to put a lot of effort into that. Uh, but on innovative uh, therapies, they very much 
prioritize it. So they came in with priority review. They came in with a system called the market authorization holder system, which is really clever, uh, that, that allows biotech companies to just really move quickly in multiple angles using third parties to do various things for them. Um, so it's, a, you know, I, I would say definitely um, the, the, you know, the speed is as similar to that uh, of the West. And um, if I were a Western, a Western company looking at a multinational, looking at China, you know, you've got a lot of multinationals that have been in China for a long time. Some of them have done very well. Some of them haven't, haven't managed to reach, reach scale operations, haven't been able to bring their innovation in uh, rapidly and, and take advantage of opportunities. And so the big question is, why have some succeeded and why, why have some failed? Um, in my view, it all comes down to people. Um, you know, you've got, in terms of clinical development, not many of the big multinationals are doing any discovery work in China. So it basically comes down to bringing global innovation into China. And to do that, you need to have well-established and functional clinical regulatory organization. Um, and I, as I look at it, I see some of the multinationals, they have terrific teams, well-established, you know, deep medical affairs operations, deep interaction with the key opinion leaders in China, and everything works pretty well. Um, you know, stable and, and, and uh, sustainable teams. The multinationals that don't seem to be doing very well, they have a lot of turnover of people. They haven't figured out how to incentivize people properly. Uh, so, you know, certainly in clinical regulatory, it's quite a mercenary part of the, of the pharmaceutical industry because, you know, people come and go in clinical regulatory depending on, on, uh, on the opportunities that are presented to them. But if you want to keep a stable clinical regulatory team, you need to incentivize them properly. So it's actually easier for biotech companies to, to keep a hold of these people and to incentivize them because you've got share-based incentives you can use and you know conventional tools that biotech industry uses to give those people part of the upside of their of their efforts for multinationals they're much more limited in being able to do that and so for those that haven't reached critical mass and scale you tend to see that they they have high levels of turnover in these clinical regulatory groups and as a result they're not able to to get their assets effectively through to approval quickly because they're not operating well. Uh, that's one issue. So I'd say as a, if I was an outsider looking into China, you've got to have a very clear strategy. Either you partner with a company like China who can, who can do that for you, or you figure out a system that you can put in place uh, uh, you know, an effective development organization that is gonna be stable, incentivized, and working towards the objective of moving that innovation to, to approval as quickly as possible. That's one aspect of it. The second aspect is commercial. You know, you've seen, again, it's the same story. With scale, commercial is, is more, more manageable. So AstraZeneca, Pfizer uh, are just really uh, Roche, Bayer, are very, Sanofi, they're all very effective commercial organizations in China because they've got scale. 
they've got businesses that are you know three four five billion us dollars in size and a material portion of the global sales of these companies so they're able to establish commercial organizations and scale them up and have them work but then you've got a large tail of multinationals that that struggle to build scale and as a result don't have stable commercial organizations and when you don't have stable commercial organizations you're never going to it's chicken and egg you're never going to get to a, a healthy business and um and you've got a lot of turnover in people as well so if I was a multinational, I think China is very focused on innovation these days. I think regulatory authorities, all they want to do is bring world-class innovation to patients in China. They will do everything they can to support that. But multinationals looking at China, they need to, they need to decide, are they in China or are they not? If they're in China, they've got to invest heavily. They've got to build the infrastructure. They've got to make sure people are incentivized properly and the business will come. If they try to do it on the cheap, uh, or if it's not a kind of a central pillar of their strategy, China isn't a central pillar of their strategy, then they're doomed to failure. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's, there's no two ways about it. You've either got to commit or, 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 or just, you know, not expect miracles. Um, and, um, but I think these days with China being the second biggest pharmaceutical market globally and with such a focus on innovation, you know, multinationals, if they're not looking at China seriously, then that's kind of a big issue. Um, and so, you know, they, 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 they do need to address it. But the, the other way, as I said earlier, is finding the right local partner. ChiMed's a great example. You know, we, we partner with AstraZeneca, with Eli Lilly on the, on the discovery and the development side. But we also partner with Merck and with AstraZeneca on the commercial side. So, you know, local players in the market in China are well established and are very uh, capable of helping um, accelerate the growth of, of some of these multinational uh, uh, companies' assets in China. Yeah. And I mean, as we sort of, I mean, if you look at, for example, the biotech world, it started in the States, spoke with an American accent for, for a long, long time. It began, it began to take off in Europe, but obviously there was, there was a, a lag and it has been, growth has been slower. Do you sort of you know, anticipate that China, given the fact that one, there's, there's a huge market, two, that there's plenty of capital, and three, there is this, you know, velocity that they seem to put into everything. Can you sort of see China becoming, you know, spoken almost as in the same breath as, you know, places like, you know, Massachusetts or the San Francisco Bay Area or San Diego? 100%. Uh, absolutely guaranteed. Um, you know, it may take a few years, but, but the Chinese biotech industry is very well funded. Um, you know, you've got the, the highest levels of inflows of venture capital uh, and private equity capital coming into China biotech at the moment. Um, you know, this global crisis around COVID is probably um, slowing things down a little bit, but, you know, it's a cyclical industry as well. But, but the flow has been enormous. Um, so the, the amount of, of uh, biotech businesses and companies that have been 
uh, established over the last five years is, is, is enormous. The reason for that is everything I've just mentioned about expanding access, uh, the regulatory reforms, and the fact that you've got 20% of the world's population in a single regulatory environment in China. You've got almost 30% of the world's cancer patients are in China. <laughs> so, you know, it's an enormous market opportunity. Uh, one where, there's, where there are regulatory tailwinds, there are access tailwinds, um, and, you know, there are the, the economic growth of China. One of the first things you do when you, when, you, when you see your economic wealth as a family increase is you ensure you have access to education, healthcare, and, you know, the kinds of things you, the, the necessi necessities in life. So that's what's driving the investment in the industry. I think also you've had now probably a handful of companies that have done really well in biotech in China. You've got Beijing, you've got ChiMed, you've got Innovant, you've got Junsha. You know, you've got, a, you've, got a, you've got a handful of innovators that have gone from a few hundred million market cap to multi-billion market cap. So investors see that and they say, okay, now you've got all the tailwinds, access and regulatory, you've got the patient population, and you've got companies that are effectively executing and delivering success and bringing innovation to patients. And so that's all you need to, all the ingredients you need to kind of cultivate a very vibrant biotech industry. And, and, and you add on top of that, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange with their, with their uh, uh, biotech uh, initiative that is really, you know, going back three or four years, a loss-making company couldn't list on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. You had to make profit in a real old-fashioned stuff. So there were no biotech companies on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Well, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange realized this was not right, and they put in, in place uh, Chapter 18 of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange listing rules that allowed loss-making biotech companies to list in Hong Kong. So now there's been uh, maybe, I don't know how many, certainly more than a dozen uh, biotech listings in, in Hong Kong, probably closer to 20 over the last two years that are, that are, that are doing well. Um, so you've got all of these factors that are cultivating uh, the biotech industry in China. And um, I think it's inevitable uh, that it will emerge as, you know, probably won't overtake the U.S. for a number of years, but eventually it will. Uh, I'm convinced of it. Eventually it will. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty bold, uh, bold prediction. Um, but you're probably, probably not wrong. Um, so, Christian, thanks very much for, for, for taking the time to uh, talk to us today. Uh, uh, this has been uh, fascinating. Um, Really interested, sort of, you know, here, you know, what the company has done. The fact that, you know, for example, with you know, the success you've had with Procrintonib, um, and your observations around, you know, tapping into the potential of, of, of Chinese innovation. So, so thanks very much uh, for for taking the time to to speak to us. If after listening to this uh, broadcast, you you've either got questions for me or 
for uh, Christian, uh, please click the link at the end of the video and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear any feedback because that feedback will help us uh, improve and make conversations in healthcare uh, as, as useful as possible. Uh, if you'd like to uh, tune in, um, follow our LinkedIn page because we'll be posting uh, updates um, and alerts uh, to future episode releases. So uh, in closing, uh, I'd like to thank Christian again um, for um, spending the time with us. Uh, I'd like to thank um, the listeners and also like to say thank you and <clears throat> show appreciation from um, my, myself and colleagues at DRG and Clarivate <clears throat> to all those in the healthcare industry who are working tirelessly to you know, improve the, the, the lives and, uh, of, of patients. So uh, thank you very much and uh, look forward to seeing you in the next episode.